0: morning, everybody. It is so good to be back with you guys. It's great to see all of you this morning. I am uh, I was really happy coming to church today. And I think it's because I've been away from you for so long. I've really missed all of you. I miss being here and with you. And um, I, I think part of it too is that I was just happy to see anybody after the last four days. <laughs> I was just glad to get out of my house. Anybody feel Okay, there's only two of us that are really lame. Um, anyway, I, after the last few days of the uh, snowstorm, and I, I hope it's the last, um, but after the last few days, I've definitely have been glad to get out of the house and to see the sun shining. Yesterday, I just walked outside and literally just stopped to feel the sun. Anybody else do that? I was just like, oh, thank you so much, God. <laughs> I'd love to see the sun. Um, thankfully, I think it's gonna get warmer and warmer and warmer. And uh, spring is on the way, but it is really good to be back. You know, you sent me, uh, and I wanna thank you for that. I thank you. I just love the heart of this church uh, for not only the people of this community to know the Lord, to experience the Lord, his goodness, his grace, his mercy toward all and to those who believe, um, but also for people that you may have never even met nor may ever meet. Uh, Just the heart that we have as a church that you have as an individual for people who live in places that that need the Lord just as much as we do, yet have much more limited resources, hardly any presence of believers and any gospel witness. And the fact that you afforded me the opportunity to go uh, with uh, two different teams uh, from our church in the last two weeks, uh, was such a grace gift, not only to me, I thoroughly enjoyed it, by the way. I love the opportunity to go overseas, but such a grace gift toward those who we served. Uh, the first week we were with our own uh, member missionary, Kristen Hurtler, and many of you guys know Kristen. Uh, she was a member of this church. She sat here just like you are sitting here, and um, she felt the call of God in her life that with her faith and with her medicine, that she was called to serve those who needed both medicine and the Lord even more than people here in this community. And she now serves in uh, South Asia. Um, I won't name the place because of the recording here that will be online, but many of you guys know where she is, and she is in one of the most needy places in the world. And um, she hasn't had fellowship uh, with our church in almost two years. And so to get to rendezvous with her in Asia for that week, that first week was absolutely awesome. Um, You just saw a change in Kristen in those days that that we were together from the first day that we met to the last day that right before we left, she was visibly different by the fellowship that we had together, by the prayer times that we had together, the worship we had together, just laughing. She said, I don't, she haven't laughed this much in almost two years. She said, I forgot that Americans were so crazy. And I was like, I don't think they are. I think it's just me. Um, yeah, we rode an elephant, and that was really cool. Um, you guys are not nearly as impressed as I was. But um, <laughs> that, was, that was really fun. But anyway, um, such a gift to be with her, to minister her, and to take all the supplies that we collected as a church. And then the second week, to be in Serbia. Uh, and I was so happy. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but Bujan is here. You want to raise your hand? Boojan came in, and Bulian is actually from Serbia. He's a, a friend here in Memphis. They came to Memphis from Serbia. Uh, he's the second family. I think you're the second family, Boojan, that I've met uh, here in, in Memphis from Serbia. They also came, much like Sajan, who many of us know, uh, for their daughter to receive treatment at St. Jude. And we continue to pray for you and your family and your daughter, Sarah. But we were actually just in uh, uh home country, Serbia, last week. Um training. Uh, oh, my voice cracked. Is second puberty one of those things that I should expect? Um, but we were there training at Hoob Bible School, which is the school where Slodjan, uh, Boolean's a good friend, and our good friend is the director of that school. And there are about 40 people this year who are there training for ministry in the country of Serbia, where it's much needed. And we had an incredible week pouring our lives out and just pouring the word out to students. I mean, literally from the early in the morning to late at night, we were teaching and training and ministering. And you just have that feeling that everything that we did is going to make an impact in their lives and in their future ministry. And so the team of six that was there, it was just an incredible time. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us and for praying for us. And thank you for Jordan and for uh, Corey and Keith and others who led in our absence here. But Good to be home. (laughs) I hope you're glad that I'm back Um, because I'm really glad to be back. Let me pray for us as we begin our time in the Word together. Lord, we do come to you this morning with a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of praise, Lord. You are God and we love you, Lord. There is no one like you in all the universe, Lord. Everything is proclaiming your glory, your excellency, your worth. Lord, the skies above us, the snow that falls down to the ground, the birds that sing, the sun that came out yesterday, the wind that we felt this morning, Lord, the warm that we're going to feel in coming weeks, Lord, all of it is trying to get our attention that you are God and you are great. Lord, all of creation is proclaiming, is singing your praise. And Lord, you've created us in your image. You created us, Lord, that we might have a relationship with you. From the very beginning, we were always meant to find our life, to find our significance, to find our purpose in you, God. Lord, to know that you are all that we need. And Lord, we know our own hearts. We know the story of the universe. We know the story of our own lives. Lord, that all of us are broken. Lord, all of us have turned away from you. All of us have sinned against you, have chosen other things instead of you to try to find what we need. But God, we also know and we believe this morning the news, the good news, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting lasting, lasting, life, life. Lord, though we feel the curse of our sin and we know that we don't deserve you, we thank you this morning that you love us. Lord, the hope of our life is that you love us, God. And you are constantly inviting us back in. You did the work necessary in your son, Jesus. In his life, perfect life. In his death for sin. And in his triumphant resurrection from the grave. You have finished the work of redemption and salvation. For those who believe. Lord, I pray this morning, more than anything else. That Lord, all of us, every person in this room who hears my voice this morning would hear your voice through mine today and that they would hear you calling back, calling us back to you. Lord, that we would hear your love, your power, your promises, your willingness to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. And that Lord, we would respond with repentance and with faith. Lord, that we would just be restored and renewed in you. God, this is your day. This is a day of worship and it's about you. I pray, Lord, by your spirit and your living word that you would speak to us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are beginning a new series this morning and I always like new things. I don't know about you, but there's something about turning the page into new seasons that I really enjoy. And there's a purpose for new seasons. There's a purpose It says in scripture for for seasons, different kinds of seasons for different purposes that God gives us. And I'm really excited today that we are beginning a five-week journey toward Easter. Can you believe that Easter is only five Sundays away? It does not feel like spring. Anybody with me? It does not feel like spring uh, outside right now, but uh, the weather forecast says we're gonna be looking at 60s in the next few weeks. I think you're gonna notice in the next few weeks that we are really turning the corner out of winter into, into spring. It's one of my favorite times of year. It's just awesome. I love seeing the grass get greener and the flowers start to bud and to bloom and things just get more beautiful and my sinuses go crazy. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? Um, but there's something like really great about this time of year. It's, it marks to me every year a season of new beginnings. It just, it just reeks of God making all things new. And I just love the significance of that, not only for what we see and enjoy in our material and physical world, but also for what that reminds us of, what that's reflective of in our own spiritual lives, that God is a God who makes all things new. And I just, I'm yearning like from the bottom of my heart uh, for, th- for this season to be really special in my own life. But also special in your life. As we look toward Easter. I mean, Easter is such a big deal in the lives of the in the life of the church, in the lives of Christians, not just because it's you know uh, just some historical event that we need to commemorate, but because what happened in that week in the life of Christ has shaped history forever and forever, has provided the very basis, the foundation of what you and I now enjoy in God's wonderful salvation promises and power toward those who believe. Easter is huge. And we need to have hearts that are directed toward Easter. And I just long and I just wonder if you were with me. I really long for these, in these next five weeks for it to be a season of, of new life for me spiritually. Of renewed life. Of reminder of Jesus and just reflection on who he is and what he's done and again just coming back and saying, Lord thank you, thank you you are all that I need Lord, thank you so much, I love you Lord, I love that you love me, I can't believe it, I can't get over it every day that we would just have hearts that are amazed and thankful and in awe of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fact that he lives he lives and because he lives, everything, everything in your life, i just, I'm talking to you now, everything in your life changes because Christ lives today. And I want you to know that. And I, more importantly, just knowing it, I want you to feel it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four. Real quick, I want you to turn here um, as we get started today because I want to tell you kind of why we're going to be in the series that we're in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4, it's probably the earliest um, known accounting or or history, tradition, saying of of the, the very foundation of what we believe. A creed, a statement of faith. Paul says to us, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This would be a great little two verses for you to memorize because it is the very foundation of what we believe. Paul's saying, this has been passed on to me and I am turning around and passing it on to you, church of car. This is very early in the history of the church, probably around 40 or 50 AD. And he's saying, I'm passing on to you the very basis of what we believe. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he raised was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Um, what is the most significant thing that's ever happened to you? I mean, is there something in your life that you can think of, because that happened, I am totally different today. Um, anything like that ever happened to you? Where, where, Something happens at a point in time. And because that thing happened, you forever are different. Some of you might think about marriage or some of you might think about kids or some of you might think about um, getting into school or maybe it's something tragic. And I hope some of you are thinking about Christ. Most of us, I hope. But the reality is these words in 1 Corinthians should not just be just stale words to us. Oh yeah, Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and yeah, he, he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. Okay. They shouldn't be stale words to us because for Paul who wrote this and for all that he's writing to who experienced this and especially for those who encountered Jesus face to face, these things were not just, oh yeah, there it just happened. Okay, just move on. no. They were the kind of events that I was trying to point your attention to in your own life that totally changed those who knew them to be true, who saw them firsthand, and forever who lived because those things happened. These are to be like, I mean, talk about rock your world kind of events. That Christ died for sin, He died for your sins your sins on his shoulders, he died for them. That he was buried, the living God took on your sin and that he did it willingly because he loves you to take on your sin that he might pay the penalty for them but then he died and he was buried. Life, blood, he gave it all for you, he was buried he rose again on the third day that he might put away, sin, that he might put away Satan and that he might offer you life. Somebody should say amen. This is not just stale words on a page. This is living reality. It's living reality of our awesome God and what he has done for us and what he is still doing for us and for all who believe, not just at a one time in our life, but every day as we trust him and as we learn him more and more and more. So my heart in this series is that we might once again recapture the wonder of this season, that we might be renewed in our faith and our love for the Lord Jesus and reminded of of what he's done. And where I've been led to is not just re- thinking about it in a historical sense, but I really want you to get what it looks like in your life every day. I want you to, I'm talking to you now, I want you to begin to live differently because Jesus rose from the grave. This morning, how is your life different because Jesus rose from the grave? Tomorrow, how is your life different because Jesus rose from the grave? Do you think about his resurrection much? Do you think about his life much? And my, my pastor heart in this season has just, I want you to be so radically shaped by the truth of what God has done and his resurrection from the grave in your daily life. So where we're gonna be is in the next five weeks, I want to introduce you to five people. Five people who met Jesus after he rose from the dead. I've never preached this series. I've actually never heard this series preached. So here we go. Um, Good luck. Um, But what I want to do is open the word and open the gospel narratives every week and I want to look at the people who met Jesus face to face. And there's two reasons I want to do this. I want you to see Jesus alive. I want you to see him our resurrected Savior in a new and fresh and a real way because this is who he is even today. I want you to get a picture of who he is and what he's done. But also I want want you to see yourself in these people because just as Jesus came to them, he also comes to you and to me. And he's given us these witnesses that we might have hope and assurance and faith through their Experience and their encounter with Jesus. So truly, I want you to encounter the living Jesus each week as we go through. And today, we're gonna start with our first witness. In fact, the first person that saw the resurrected Jesus and it's Mary Magdalene. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open to the Gospel of John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. Our theme today, and this is going to be the only thing that I'm going to put on the screen for you to write down. I hope there's a lot that you're writing down all through this message as you want to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And as God speaks to you, that you can go later and apply it. But I do want you to write down the central theme today because we're going to get into the narrative and I don't want it to be lost, but it's this. The resurrection of Jesus gives believers certainty and confidence in His salvation, promises, and future. The resurrection of Jesus, what we're going to be seeing today, is that the resurrection of Jesus gives believers, including you, if you are in Christ and if you trust Him for your salvation. And that's what God wants for all of us. If you're here in this room, He wants you to be saved to be restored in relationship with him. And that comes through faith. For those who trust Christ, there is certainty and confidence that God wants you to have in your salvation and his promises to you and in the future that he has prepared for you. And his resurrection from the grave gives this to you, that you might be confident and certain in him. So, John chapter 20. Hopefully you've got your Bibles. If not, you can follow along uh, on the screen. As we approach the text this morning, what we know is that it is now Sunday morning. Not this Sunday morning, but Sunday morning here in the narrative. As you know, Jesus had been executed on Friday evening. His body had been hurriedly, because of the coming Sabbath, hurriedly uh, taken down from the cross after they had examined it to know that truly he was dead. Taken down from the cross and given over to his followers. And then we know that Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus went in together, Joseph lending a tomb that was there. They had to get him into a resting place for his body quickly because of the coming Sabbath. And thankfully, some of his followers who had means and provision offered what they had to be able to give Jesus a resting place in his burial. And they did that on Friday evening. And they had put them there, uh, him there in the tomb. And now uh, that was, that's, You can see that at the end of chapter 19, what happened there. But now in chapter 20, we see that it's now Sunday morning. It's the third day. The Sabbath had passed, Friday night, all day Saturday, of course, being the Sabbath. The people of God were to rest, not to work, not to, of course, that meant not to tend to the body even. Saturday night, and now it's the dawning of a new day, Sunday. And what we see here is that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. And it says that she comes early. It's apparent, if you look at the other gospel accounts, that several women had apparently decided to go to the tomb early on that Sunday morning to tend to Jesus' body and their loving and tender care of Him. But we see that Mary Magdalene she decided she's going to go first. She's going to go ahead of the group. She's, I don't know if she just woke up earlier, or maybe she had already decided in her heart because of her sincere love for Christ that she was going early. I want to stop right here real quick because I think it's important that you know something about Mary Magdalene because I think it's just going to make this story and this encounter come to life even more. If you remember, who was Mary Magdalene? You remember? She got the name because she's from a little town called Magdala. Just like Jesus was often called the Nazarene, Mary was often called the Magdalene. She was from a place called Magdala. Magdala was about three miles from Capernaum, southwest on the Sea of Galilee, a place that specialized in dyes and in, in textiles, even though it was different in that day, of course, than it is today. But it was a bustling city. And she was from that city, and she carried that name throughout Jesus' ministry because there are a lot of Marys. Anybody ever try to count the Marys? It's like John's today or Sarah's, you know. It's just one of those names that I guess mamas like naming their little girls. Oh, she looks like a Mary. Yeah, every other girl. So, Um, anyway, there's a lot of wonderful women named Mary. It was a popular name. But to distinguish the women uh, often in the gospel accounts They had little tags behind Mary So you knew it was Mary the mother of Jesus Or Mary, you know, etc Here, Mary Magdalene Carried the title uh, Because of where she was from And we often Think about Mary uh, in, in the light of After she met Jesus But in Luke chapter 8 Verse 3 What we know is that Mary Magdalene didn't always have a life that we see in the gospels accounts. That Mary Magdalene had a very dark past. Um, Like many people apart from Christ, she was living without hope. She was living um, in sin. She was living apart from God. By her own choices, and also by perhaps things outside of her control, she was very much a prisoner to sin. And not just a prisoner to sin, but she was a prisoner to the enemy. It says there in Luke chapter 8 that she was inflicted, she was possessed by seven demons. Seven in the scriptures, of course, is used to signify completeness. It also, you know, we take it at face value, means seven. But the reality is is that Mary Magdalene was a very inflicted woman. Her mind was not settled. She had been anxious. She was, the, the words in the scripture paint the picture of Mary as someone who was totally enslaved and ensnared who was oppressed and trapped by her own sin her own darkness but also by the inflictions of these demons and i don't know what caused we don't know we don't know anything about what caused it but what we know is that she was greatly inflicted and greatly oppressed and you can imagine um we had a a lady come here this morning and it's just so sad to me. She came in early. She wasn't invited and she was either completely drunk or completely high or maybe even possessed. I do not know, but she was just outside of herself. We couldn't even have a reasonable conversation with her. Yet she kept saying, I have all these needs and you don't even care about me. You know, it was just, it broke my heart. But at the same time, what do you do? And I, I'm not trying to say that this woman is exactly like Mary Magdalene, but you all have encountered people who are so dark, and maybe yourself, you've, you've experienced it. Seasons of life, where maybe your time before Christ, where you were living so deep into sin, so deep into despair, so inflicted by the enemy, so oppressed, so enslaved, so, it was just in a dark place, you... Desperately Wanted a way out But you couldn't seem To find the way out And it just seemed To get worse And worse And worse Such that there's This constant Anguish of the heart This is Mary Magdalene We don't know Much detail But we do know That this is how She was For much of her life she Didn't feel A purpose She didn't feel hope When she woke up She didn't feel joy There wasn't faith when you die you die you know people just just a just a hard life but we know that she didn't stay that way because in the gospel accounts in Luke it says that Jesus met her that there came a time in Mary's life and we don't know how and we don't know where, but we know that there came a day that Jesus was close to where Mary Magdalene was and he saw her and her distressed and maybe she saw him and heard about him like the other accounts that we have details of in scripture where people cried out to Jesus to free them of what they couldn't free themselves from. But what we know is that one day there was an encounter And that encounter changed Mary's heart and life forever. What we know is that on that day, Jesus, as he did and still does for all who come to him in faith, Jesus forgave her of her sins. Jesus loosed her of the bondage of the enemy. Jesus freed her got her out of the prison that she was in. Jesus liberated the demons that were accusing her and tormenting her and inflicting her and keeping her in prison. He said, be gone. She was free. She was forgiven. And he offered himself to her. He embraced her. He welcomed her. He invited her in. He gave her a hope and a future. He gave her a meaning for her life. He helped her to know that God loves her, that he loved her and that he had come for her, that she might not have the consequence of her sin, but rather the grace of our awesome and loving God. Amen. And Mary was changed. She was changed so much that as you track through the gospel narratives, what you will see is that Mary was a devoted, she wasn't just a casual follower of Jesus. She was a devoted follower of Jesus. She's listed 14 times in the gospel accounts. And most of those times, it's in a list of other women. And do you know where her name is almost every time? It's at the front. She, and, and that's significant. Her name is listed first among the ladies who follow Jesus. We know that she left her home at Magdala. We know that she ministered to Jesus almost his whole ministry. From that day forward, she was with Jesus because she had been changed. She was different. She had been loved. She had been forgiven. She had hope. She had purpose. She had life because of this Jesus. And now her life was spent loving him and devoted to him and following him and helping him and ministering to him with whatever he needed. And we see that she was such an esteemed follower of Jesus. We also know that here in the last week of Christ, that she was a witness up until the very end. We know that she walked with the Lord into the darkest shadows of his life as he made that final journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. We know that that she was there when they had the mock trial of Jesus. We know that she was there with Pontius Pilate, though he found Jesus not guilty of anything, he sentenced him to death. We know that she heard it with her own ears, this Jesus who she loved. We know that she saw Jesus being arrested taken away and tried for his very life and yet she didn't forsake him like many of the others did that night we know that she saw Jesus who had set her free from sin and bondage and death taken into the crowd and beaten and whipped and mocked and spat upon and ridiculed by the crowd and by the soldiers that day almost to death and we know that she followed Jesus as he took the cross to Calvary, was stretched out upon it, nails went through both of his arms and through his feet. She is there. She's watching. And we know that she's there not only at that moment, but she stays there at the cross the entire time through those dark, dark hours. She's listed among the women in the gospel accounts. Who are there the whole time ministering to Jesus and caring for him as he's giving his very last life's breaths, as blood is flowing down from his open wounds and from his side. We know that she's there. She's weeping, she's watching, she's waiting. And we know that she's there when he gives his last breath. And she watches Jesus who she loves die upon that cross. And I can't even imagine the emotions that would come over her. and come over the group that she's with who are there watching Jesus who was innocent. The only perfect and innocent one. The only one who did not deserve it. Who is bearing the punishment of sin and wait for us all. And we know that she's there as they lower him from the cross, as they take his body down as they wrap him in a cloth and we know that she's there as they find a place to lay him there in Joseph's tomb well, she knows exactly where he's laid which means that she's been there already the night that they put him there, Mary has been there since the time that she met Jesus Jesus was everything to Mary. He had given her life. He had redeemed her. He had forgiven her. He had offered her hope. But now, Jesus is dead. And I can't imagine, I mean, put yourself in her shoes, imagine what she may have felt those days The sadness that would have ensued. And what we know is that her and some other women decide that on Sunday morning, because it was so hasty, the burial was so hasty, that they're going to go back to the tomb and give the body a proper washing and anoint the body with oils and with spices to prepare the body in a most loving and tender way, as families often did. And some still do in the world today, to prepare Jesus for burial. And so she comes early back to the tomb. It says, while it was still dark. But then something interesting. She sees that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She gets to the tomb and she realizes the stone that was protecting Jesus' body, the stone that had been put there and The tomb that had been supposed to have been guarded to protect his body is now rolled away. And immediately all she can think is somebody's taken Jesus. By Jesus. Somebody's taken him. Where did he go? And she decides, it says in verse 2, that she's going to go get Peter. Peter. And John, who we know Jesus loved and we're so close to him in his ministry. So she goes, she runs. Obviously they're staying in the same place and she, you can just imagine she gets there in a panic. Peter, Peter, John, John, they've taken Jesus. I got there this morning and he's not there and I don't know what to do. The, st- the stones rolled away and it looks like the tomb is empty. I think somebody's taken Jesus. I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. You can just imagine if you've ever seen a woman worked up. Just kidding. <laughs> um, But, you know, in a panic attack, Michelle called me this week uh, frozen. She she said she was stuck. Anyway, she got unstuck, but she was panicked because the car that she was driving, she felt like it was going off the road, and she got worked up. Mary is worked up, and understandably so. So Peter, it says, she says, so Peter went out with the other disciple, with John, and they were going toward the tomb. So they, they're going to go, as men do, we're going to take care of things, right? I'm going to, I've got it under control, right? We got this. We're going to take care of it. So they're going toward the tomb. It says both of them are running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, right? I think it's really interesting. So John apparently is a better runner a better athlete, or maybe he just, he's more concerned, but he they take off running and he doesn't care about staying pace with Peter. He's gone, dude. He gets to the tomb first. And it says that when he gets there, he stoops to look in. And he sees, he didn't go in. So he's crouching, kind of looking in. And he sees the the cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in to be put there for burial, just lying there. Jesus is not there. Jesus is not there. He says they're just lying there, lying there in the tomb but he did not go in. And then in verse six, we see this. But then Simon Peter came, following him. What did he do? He just rushes into the tomb, man. Like Peter always does, he just goes for it. Uh, Peter doesn't really hold much back, hardly ever. And sometimes that gets him in trouble. Sometimes it's good. Peter just headlong, he runs straight into the tomb. And he looks around and he's trying to figure out what is going on. And it says that when he gets in, he sees the linen cloths lying there. But then something interesting he notices, not just the linen cloths just lying there, but he notices the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rather folded up and in a place by itself. Really, really strange. Not only... Is Jesus not there and the closet he was wrapped in are just laying there, but there's a cloth that was over his face that looks like somebody has carefully taken off and folded up and put into a proper place. Continues in verse eight. And then it says the other disciple, who's John, who had reached the tomb first. Now that Peter's gone on, he goes, well, I might as well go too. So he goes in and it says, he saw and he also believed. They are coming to an awareness that Jesus is not there. Now we know that at this point that those two don't know where he is. Most likely thinking somebody's taken Jesus because they weren't anticipating that he truly would rise from the dead. But they see the evidence for themselves and it says they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And Peter and John both You can imagine, put their hands on their head and go, oh my goodness, what has happened here? What has happened here? Where is Jesus? And they hurry back to their house, probably either to talk to others, to make a plan like all good men do to figure out how to handle the situation. But then something interesting happens in verse 11. We see that Mary who by this point has made it back to the tomb, probably behind Peter and John. Mary stays. And again, it's an indication of what's going on in Mary's heart. Have you had those times in your life where you just long for the Lord? Where you just so want to be with the Lord that you will do anything? You know, Mary has followed Jesus all the days of her life since that first encounter, she has poured her very life out to serve him and to minister to him, to take care of him. She's watched him as he's given his last breath. And now she just wants to be with him. And some of us can relate that longing to just be with the Lord Jesus. Or maybe some of you after a loved one has died, you know, that feeling of longing to be with the one, even though they're you feel that they're not there, you just want to be with them. Mary stays behind at the tomb. She loves the Lord Jesus. She seeks him, and it says here in verse eleven that she wept as she stooped to look into the tomb. What comes over her is weeping, is sorrow, is just tears upon tears upon tears. Some of you know, some of you know that experience, and she's longing for Jesus. She's longing for him. You can imagine the deep emotion of her heart. The only one who loved me purely, the one who gave me hope, the one who promised me all these things. The one who freed me from my sin and my bondage. The one who said that there would be hope in a future. He's gone. He's gone. what is my life now? he's gone. he's gone and the overwhelming emotion just came over her such that she wept. she wept as she looked into the tomb. But then in verse 12, something interesting happens. she looks up and she sees two men standing in the tomb, both of them dressed in white. We know they were angels, but I don't think that she did because she didn't seem to react that differently. And they just say to her, woman, why are you weeping? To call to her own recollection what she's there for. And she says, they've taken away my Lord. Still calling him my Lord. They've taken him away and I don't know what they've done with him. Verse 14 says after she said this she turned around and when she turned around we don't know what made her turn around we don't know if she was just ending the conversation with the angels or maybe the angels stood in recognition of the presence of Jesus but what we know is that she turned around and she looked at Jesus but the scripture says she did not know that it was Jesus i don't know if jesus had something covering himself or maybe it was because it was very dark because it's early in the morning or in the tomb or maybe she had so many tears in her eyes that she just couldn't see him or make him out to be who it was, but she saw Jesus, even though she doesn't know that it's Jesus. It is Jesus Christ, the one who she had seen crucified for sin, give his last breath, die, put into the grave, buried for three days. Jesus is now standing alive proud of Mary and he says to her same question as the angel says woman why are you weeping and then a second question who are you seeking such a tender voice helping Mary he knows Mary's fears he knows Mary's hopes he knows Mary's longings He knows. he knows the brokenness of her heart He's there for Mary because he loves her even more than she loves him. He doesn't rebuke. He invites. And Mary says, because she thinks he's a gardener, which I think is kind of funny. (laughs) Oh, he's the guy that plants flowers. Um, No, it's your risen Lord. Come on. Um, just, I just think it's kind of funny, but she thinks he's a gardener. And she says, sir, if you've, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've taken him and I will go and I'll get him myself. Again, love and longing for the Lord. And Jesus, one of the the climax of the story, verse 16, he says to her, Mary. Mary, Mary, he knows her. He calls her by name. You can imagine the overwhelming feeling that this would have been, the overwhelming joy that this would have been, the overwhelming moment and blessing this would have been. It is the all-familiar voice of her Lord and Savior who she loves and she's given her life to and she's hoped and It is he, it's his voice. I hear him. There's only one that says Mary like that. And it's Jesus. John 10 said, the sheep know his voice. And they listen and respond. Mary. And it says that she turned. Apparently she had turned away. She turns back to him and she sees. She didn't even really need to look at him because she had already heard, but she sees him. And it says that she calls out to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai. In other words, you are the master. The one that I love, the one that I serve, the great teacher. You are Lord. Oh, rabbi. You can imagine this is the term she's used for Jesus, his whole ministry as she's followed him. And she just puts herself down at his feet and she falls and she takes hold of his feet and it says she just is loving her Lord Jesus in this moment. Jesus says to her, what an amazing moment of worship for Mary. What an overwhelming moment. The, her Her sorrow turned to joy. Her hopes fulfilled. Her longing satisfied. Her faith she sees is not in vain. Her future secure. Her forgiveness is real. The one that she loves, he's real. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that I've hoped for my whole life. It is he, he's in front of me. He's real. Oh, Rabbanai. She just pours out herself to him. Jesus says to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go, go to my brother's. Love that term, go to the ones that I love, my family and tell them I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. In other words, I am Jesus. I am who I said I was, I really am him. And my work is truly finished. I have done everything necessary to save you and all who believe from sin and from death. I have completed it. I am here. All of my promises are true. All of the future that I promised you is about to come to fruition. God is about to take me and I will live in glory until I come again for you. I am Jesus. I am here It's me. Go and tell everybody that your faith is not in vain, that I have risen from the dead and I am going to be reunited with God and I will be your God and you will be my people and we will live together forever because I have risen from the dead. I am here. Amen. I'm here. Mary, don't cling to me. You're going to get to be with me forever. Yeah, i got a mission for you right now. You're going to go and tell other people that you saw me alive, that I am not dead, but I live, and I live for all who believe in me. <laughs> Praise God. And so what's Mary do? Like never before, verse 18, I guarantee you, she ran. <laughs> she with a smile on her face. Did we get that picture? Is there a picture, Candace? Okay, you can't really see it because it's stretched. This is a statue, though, that a famous artist portrayed of the moment of Mary turning around to go back to tell the others. But you go back to the scripture now, Candace, thinks. I just love that, though. I kind of want that statue for my office because the joy of seeing the risen Savior. But verse 18 says, she ran with joy back to the others and announced, I have seen the lord i have seen the lord i've seen him i've seen him with my very own eyes i saw him he, he called my name you wouldn't believe it i just thought he was a gardener but i turned around and there he was it was jesus he called my name he said just like he always used to say it, mary mary he just he was there i touched his feet i i he's alive i've seen the lord he's alive it's him Everything that he said is true. His promises are all real. You can trust him. He's alive. And he said, he's going to come to us. Oh, believe me. I've seen the Lord. He told him, she told him everything that she had heard. What an amazing moment. Would you agree? For Mary to encounter the living Jesus you know what? This moment's not just for her. This moment's for you. Because God has appointed these witnesses of the resurrection that you might see the risen Lord through her seeing him with her own eyes. Because she witnessed the Lord, you can witness the Lord too. It's God's way. And what God wants you to see in his encounter with Mary is that he is alive. And our faith is not in vain, friends. First Corinthians chapter 15 describes, you're going to be reading it this week, but it describes that if the Lord had not risen, that our faith would be in vain. But the reality is that passage goes on to say, but the Lord did rise. He did come back from the dead. And because of that, he is alive today. And your faith, when you trust him, you are trusting in the living God, the living Savior, the only one in all of creation who can bring you back to God, who can restore you, who can forgive you, who can heal you, who can fulfill you, who can satisfy you with good, who can promise you a hope and a future and mean it. The only one. He is alive. And when you trust Him, you are not doing it in vain. You are trusting in a living and breathing Savior who Mary saw face to face, that you might see Him face to face and know with certainty and confidence that His salvation, His promises, and His future, they are real. God is for you. Amen? I have seen the Lord, Mary said. And as Robbie comes and we transition to our time of response, my question is for you, have you seen the Lord? Have you encountered the living Jesus? I'm not talking about words on the page of your Bible. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about have you encountered Jesus Christ, face to face. It is an experience with the living God that constitutes our religion. Christianity is not about adhering to doctrines. It's about worshiping a living Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. And just like Mary, I want to know, have you been freed of your sin? Have you been forgiven? Have you been liberated? Have you been fulfilled? Have you been satisfied? Have you been given a hope and a future in Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the living God? See, Mary had put her faith in Christ. She believed him and she experienced him. But when she saw him face to face after he had risen from the dead, it completely confirmed and reassured her that everything she had hoped in It was not in vain because he was truly the living God. And he still is today, friends. He still is today. Put your confidence, put your faith, put your hope in him. Fall at his feet. Listen to him. Call your name. Fall at his feet and worship. Our faith is not in vain. If Christ had not risen, oh, we would be people most to be pitied. But he did rise. We have encountered the living Jesus. Because of that, everything has changed. Let me pray for you, God. We just thank you for this time of worship and this time of your word and the response that you're calling us to make. And I pray right now, right now, in every heart, that we would respond to you, God, We are all Mary Magdalene. In one way or another, we all have and share her story. The question is, have we experienced, have we encountered the living Jesus? Is our faith confident and sure? Because we know that Jesus lives. Lord, I pray right now that you would minister to this wonderful church and every person here in the ways that you see fit. That we might worship you fully. That we might be changed. That we might be forgiven and freed. Because we too know that Jesus lives.